From WBEZ Chicago, this is Making. I'm Brandon Pope. Good evening, my fellow Americans. Now, before I begin... And no, this is not Making Obama. We already did that. I just want to say that I know a lot of people out there seem to think that uh, I don't get angry. That's just not true. So, just so there's no more confusion, we've hired Luther here to be my anger translator. Luther? Hi. Uh, I just want to say to my critics, I hear your voices, and I'm aware of your concerns. So maybe if you can chill the hell out for like a second, then maybe I can focus on some shit, you know? Jordan Peele. When he's not impersonating the president, he's a TV comedy icon. Move over, Colin Mockery. There's a new face in the biz. And a scary movie pioneer. The Oscar goes to Jordan Peele. Get out. Today, we're charting the years that made Jordan Peele. How did he make the leap from his early days doing live comedy? Oh, they don't even know I'm going to fuck with them yet. To his memorable roles on Mad TV and Key and Peele. Continental Breakfast. To his feature films that have reinvented the horror genre. He came to be known for comedy, but then he said, you know, I'm more than the sum of the things that you've seen me do, and let me show you what I can do. He had been practicing to be Jordan Peele since high school. The Making of Jordan Peele. Coming up. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Jordan Peele was a kid who fell in love with horror movies. He grew up in New York City on the Upper West Side. And he was fascinated with movies like Rosemary's Baby and A Nightmare on Elm Street. Here's Jordan on WHYY's Fresh Air. People would cheer, you know, Freddy's little, you know, he'd kill somebody brutally and then say, like, you know, some stupid pun, (laughs) you know, uh, know, like, game over, chump. (laughs) The only thing to fear is fear himself. In school, he was a nerd. He wore Garfield t-shirts. He loved musical theater. He dressed up as Beetlejuice for Halloween. Then, after high school, he went to Sarah Lawrence College, where he declared puppetry as his major. But comedy outside of class became Jordan's primary focus. He joined a troupe started by his classmate, Rebecca Drysdale. The two hit it off fast. You know, we we very, very quickly kind of were like, oh, you have the other half of my brain that I've been searching for my whole life. You know, and it wasn't just comedy. It was, it was you know, a shared love for similar kinds of, of movies and television shows and, and ways in which our, our nerdinesses uh, overlapped. We just kind of f- like fell in love creatively, I guess is the best way to say it. Rebecca says with no one to guide them as they honed their craft, they had to, well, improvise. They assigned each other improv exercises to do in Rebecca's dorm room. I mean, it's so dorky. Once I was like, okay, you, you've been on this desert island for four years. 
you gave up on being saved a long time ago. Now, like, I've arrived on this island and I'm, you know, I'm talking to you. <laughs> and they're like, okay, 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 let's go, let's go. And so I was like, um, Captain Stephen Walden or whatever I said. <laughs> he pops his head out in like this gravelly voice goes, Captain Walden. As if he'd just been like traumatized by being in this island for four years and had forgotten all human behavior and was just like repeating <laughs> back to me like an alien. And he scared the shit out of me. Like we were doing this little improv exercise. I was like, cut, scene, because it was so convincing and so terrifying. And I was like, you know, this is the level that we're going to be playing at. Because, you know, he takes the assignment seriously. Halfway through school, Rebecca made a big decision. She wanted to drop out and really give comedy a go. But first, she had to ask her partner in crime, Jordan, do you want to come with me? And from what I remember, the response was as casual as, yeah, let me get my stuff. It wasn't something we needed to sit and talk about for several hours or he needed to make six other phone calls about. It was like he grabbed his bag. The two fresh dropouts left New York and moved to America's comedy capital, Chicago. This is the stage that launched a million laughs. The main stage at the Second City Theater in Chicago. We both got jobs working at Second City as hosts, meaning we showed people to their seats. We moved chairs around. If somebody threw up, we cleaned it up. Like, it's a lower post at the Second City, but what you get to do in that job is watch every night. They also started doing their own performing. At another theater, Improv Olympic, now known as I.O., they wrote and acted in a sketch show called Two White Guys. Obviously, these two aren't white guys. Um, I want to read here a snippet of a review that appeared. Oh, wow. I'm in the Chicago Reader in 2000. <laughs> It says, what really makes two white guys stand out from the crowd is how well they play to each other's strengths. Peel employs a broad range of accents and facial expressions to create his characters, while the diminutive Drysdale throws herself into her roles with a manic energy. <laughs> so, Rebecca, tell us a little more about that show. I was much skinnier. That was the diminutive part. Um... I think a lot of it came down to, like, we love to play. We're both dorks. You know, like, a lot of our stuff was, like, inspired by, like, you know, science fiction indie movies that nobody had seen. And then, like, we would go home and watch MGM musicals and think, like, okay, well, what's our Debbie Reynolds number? And then we'd make a Debbie Reynolds number, and then we'd go back to, like, choreographing our sword fight I think we want we wanted to have a holodeck, and so we made one. One of the first things we did was this very long, multi-part sketch that was essentially our love letter to the movie Glory, which both of us had seen 650 times and knew every word to. And so we're taking pieces of the movie Glory and kind of spinning them out into different directions, but trying to get them as right as pos as we possibly could. And so I think at the beginning, a lot of it was just, we want to be in our favorite movies. If this man should fall, who will lift the flag and carry on? 
And then we kind of realized we have this superpower, which is that I am this woman who's gay and Jewish, and he is this man who is straight and black, and that that gave us, as far as our audiences were concerned, a lot of permission to talk about a lot of things. Um, And that started becoming really exciting to us in terms of like the kinds of content and the level of edgy we were allowed to be. And we kind of felt like, oh, we can talk about all these things that other people can't because we, like our physical presentation weirdly gives us permission to do that. Then Jordan makes another big move. He landed a gig at Boom Chicago, a comedy theater not in Chicago, but 4,000 miles away in Amsterdam. The theater was founded by Chicago area expats and launched the careers of comedians like Seth Meyers, Jason Sudeikis, Amber Ruffin, and Brendan Hunt. So doing improv in Chicago, you would hear about Boom Chicago. You'd hear that there's this place in Amsterdam where people are doing uh, improv. Brendan is probably best known for playing assistant coach Beard on Ted Lasso. But in the early 2000s, he and Jordan were on stage together in Amsterdam, trying to make a name for themselves. He joined Rebecca and me for a walk down memory lane. I think for every single person in Chicago, really, it's just a matter of would the Boom Chicago auditions happen at the right time in your life where you would go, oh, fine, I'll check it out. Um, And you get there and I have heard it. Charitably described by uh, Second City giant Ron West as being like the Beatles in Hamburg because you are performing for multinational drunks who don't all speak your language particularly well. So you have to like, you know, bespoke your performance style a little bit to that, but you still want to do work that you enjoy and you're performing constantly. Like back in Chicago, you're lucky if you got two shows last week. You get two shows, you feel good about it. Um, what would be unfortunate would be is if that second show wasn't that good, because then you had to wait a whole week for your next show, and it would just rot your soul. Mm. But at Boom, you're performing minimum five times a week. Um, you you do one bad show, you got another show tomorrow. You can erase that memory right away. Um, and so it was reps. It was reps, and it was getting your chops up. Ladies and gentlemen... This is my favorite part of the show because instead of asking you to shout out your answers onto the stage, I can come into the audience. In this clip from the Boom Chicago archives, Jordan does crowd work with a couple of uncooperative audience members. Maybe, are are you co-workers? Could be. Could be. It's all right, it's all right. I'll, I'll handle this, sir. Jordan and Brendan also performed at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Here they are in a two-person show called Here Comes the Neighborhood. Brendan plays the straight man to Jordan's wacky, high-pitched Danish supermodel. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this year's Adults in Need Telethon. I'm your host, Michael Schmeichel. With me for the first time, my new co-host, the Danish supermodel, Uta. Uta, say hello. Yes, because... So that was you, Brendan, doing a scene with Jordan Peele as the Danish supermodel Uta. 
So what was it like for you to perform as a duo with Jordan? It was super fun. I think with both shows, you know, even with the titles, you know, Two White Guys and, and Here Comes the Neighborhood, you know, I've, uh, not to speak for, for y'all show, Becky, but like that's a degree of, of Jordan pushing forward, like, oh, we're going to confront race, like, er, early. <laughs> You're going to come in the door knowing that we're going to do that, you know, off off the jump and then kind of like get it out of the way. So like our opening sketch was like, you know, a melodramatic slave drama spoof where I was the 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 wife of the plantator. Is that the uh, correct term? Plantator? Uh, plantator. Um, <laughs> plantator. And there was a degree of there was a degree of amorousness between me and uh, and the forbidden love of Jordan. Also, the Brandon was already at Boom for a while. Jordan went to Boom about four months before I went to Boom. And by the time I got to Boom, it was like Jordan had been there for 10 years, had been doing this forever. (laughs) And I was just, I remember getting there and watching him and like, I didn't know where the bathroom was. I didn't know where I was going to be living. (laughs) I, you know, like, it's like you're in a totally new place. And I'm watching Jordan, like he invented the damn thing. It's a great point about Jordan's um, adjustment to it. Because it is a weird gig. You're like so wearing weird. microphones in your body for the first time. Um, and you're performing for 300 people instead of 25. And you have to project and you have to, you have to get your engines exactly right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it can take people a while, you know, to the point where like a, a running piece of advice is, oh, you really got to do a second year because that's really where you get the hang of it. But he had zero adjustment period. Like he immediately took to it. Petra and Nick, you guys are a fucking enigma. That's okay. I'm not Batman, but I'm going to try and figure out this riddle. My favorite part of this is hearing the descriptions of these sketches y'all did and try to picture them in my mind. <laughs> like, Brendan, you doing this sketch with Jordan where you're the the plantation mistress or whatever, and he's <laughs> like, you're having a forbidden love? I, I would I would pay to see that. Like that, that's that's genius stuff right there. Um, and we got I was Matthew Broderick and Glory. <laughs> with, we got in there, man. Did we Jordan did have the one around. tier going down? Did he have the one tier? The Denzel tier? We did we did a scene where it was all you know, we had the music and then a lot of it was like um V O diaries in the same way that the movie, you know, were diaries. Uh-huh. And I was again very diminutive and and skinny at that time. So I had a little soul patch and I looked not unlike Matthew Broderick and Glory. <laughs> and we were and we would do like uh the scene at the end of Glory when he's like, If this man should fall in battle, who will carry the flag in his place? And Jordan being like, yeah, I have a question. <laughs> um, what's with all this fall business? <laughs> you said if you should fall. But my question is, should I not have a firearm instead of a flag Because in this situation? As I now feel I'm bringing a flag to a rifle fight. <laughs> so it was, it was basically like glory, but one character being like, I'm gonna stop you right there. Right, yeah. Like, in, a, in a couple of situations, and fuck, man, we <laughs> we we could have done the whole movie. We love that shit. Oh my gosh, there needs now so to be fun. like a whole spoof movie of of glory that I need I need you two to to nail. People that. don't realize how hilarious that movie is. <laughs> well, now I mean, I'll never see the movie it's, the same again. Now <laughs> it's just gold <laughs> under piles of gold. 
Um, but we did, you know, we took these movies that we knew every word of and, and, and blew them apart like that. But there was certainly no shyness around going there. And that found its way very organically into the Key and Peele sensibility. Perfect segue. Thank you. <laughs> In 2003, Jordan Peele joined the cast of Mad TV the scrappy sketch comedy show that saw itself as a competitor to Saturday Night Live. And as fate would have it, he really clicked with another member of the cast. Keegan-Michael Key, Keegan Key, who joined the show from the Second City in Chicago. The pair had great comedic chemistry, and in 2011, Comedy Central announced it was picking up a new yet untitled sketch show. Hingle McCringleberry, Penn State University. Or what if they made a movie with Liam Neeson's and Bruce Willis? I said, bitch. Hey, guys. Oh! Insubordinate and churlish. She's dead. She's dead. I'm calling the cops. She's dead. Key and Peele ran for five critically acclaimed seasons and won a Peabody Award in 2013. It was praised for its smart satire and its commentary on race relations in America. This sketch is called Awkward Apologies from White People, featuring comedian Ken Marino. Hey, bottom line, mm -hmm. we cool, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah, we are cool. <laughs> We're kicking it, cow. <laughs> yes. What's that? Didn't Nothing. Oh, you didn't... Alright, four more years. The show also parodied a huge range of TV and movie genres, especially horror. Key and Peele borrowed from movies like The Shining, The Exorcist, Dawn of the Dead, or even this take on Saul, where the killer clown is no match for the bright optimism of his victims. No one has ever suffered as you win. <laughs> You love your work, and that kind of a positive attitude, quite frankly, is contagious. It is. Brendan, uh, what we heard was you playing that creepy Jigsaw-esque clown. Uh, for what it's worth, I would have been scared if I was in there. <laughs> even if, Thank you. Even, Thank if you. The, <laughs> even if those characters weren't. Uh, so you appeared on Key & Peele several times. What are your memories from being on set? Um, well, they were some of my first times on set, you know, like on a proper show. Um, so my main memories are of being like, don't fuck this up, man. Don't fuck this up. Don't fuck it up on camera. Don't fuck it up off camera. Just be cool. Um, but just also, you know, a tremendous amount of gratefulness that they would, you know, include me, um, who, you know, didn't really particularly have any credits yet, but that they would find me you know, appropriate for certain roles. And I wasn't judging or questioning that those roles were uh, creepy van guy, killer clown and sex murderer. Um, <laughs> that, that all seemed fine. That all seemed fine. It was just because the show was so good right away, you know, to, to be included in it a little bit was, was thrilling. <laughs> Meanwhile, Rebecca, you were a writer for all five seasons of key and peel. Uh, and this was kind of your reunion with Jordan. So how did you approach uh, writing scenes for this show? As far as Key and Peele went, it was like, okay, a lot of the same themes, a lot of the same stuff that we're talking about, but I have these two super puppets that I'm writing for. It's like when you write for 
Um, not that I ever have, but if, if you were writing for Steve Martin and you know what his skill set is and you're just like, oh, I can give this person anything and they'll spin it into gold. So on one hand, writing for that show was amazing and challenging and, and, on, and all the things being a writer is. On the other hand, I could have snot rocketed on a piece of paper and they would have made it the funniest thing you've ever seen on television. So in many ways, it was a, a very easy job because you have both of these guys and our director turning everything into the greatest shit you've ever seen. Clearly, there were themes in Jordan's early work that continue to pop up again and again. But I also asked Rebecca and Brendan if there were signs, even going back to their days in Amsterdam, that Jordan would make a good director someday. For me, it was before that. You know, it was always very, like, part of the plan that he was going to direct, uh, again, a genre guy. And that was, you know, science fiction, fantasy, horror, you know, everything. And um, comedy, because of sketch, was a way to be able to do all of those genres. But it wasn't like this surprising thing that suddenly he was he wanted to direct movies. He had invented a game, like a movie directing game, that kind of went through a couple of different versions where you were sort of a director and you had to put together your own movies. You know, like this is how we would enjoy ourselves at that time. Like <laughs> a was, proper tabletop board game. Yeah, like with... a real board game that he did met multiple versions of and had laminated and made and... You know, so he, he had drew been, the art on the cards. Yeah, he had been practicing to be Jordan Peele since high school and before. And if you knew him, you knew that. And he didn't really make a distinction between like the function of horror or the function of science fiction or the function of comedy. They're all different forms of satire. They're all different ways of exploring ideas by taking a step away from them or recontextualizing them. And I am not a horror person. Like, he showed me the trailer for Us once, and I was like, cool, have fun with your movie. <laughs> I was like, I can't see that. He was like, he's always like, oh, you'll be fine. I'm like, no, I won't, because that person's head's on weird, and they're whispering, and I'm out. Um, but, like, with Get Out, you know, I had heard about this idea for so long, and I'd heard the comedy version, and I'd heard the sketch version, and I'd heard this version and that version. So to me, that were, that read as satire. But, you know, there's scary moments, but it was it was still very satirical to me. And same with same with Nope in a lot of ways. You know, Nope to me is a love letter to, you know, monster movies and and this kind of thing. So, you know, I knew he loved horror, but to me, it was more just like Jordan's doing Jordan, and it's coming out in a different shape. But none of us were like, where does this horror come from? We we knew. I remember he got a he made a birthday present for someone at Boom Chicago, um, the the wonderful and talented Lauren Dowden, and um, I only saw it like in passing. I just happened to be standing next to her when he gave it to her, and it was if you can imagine like black cardstock, you know, about three by five, several sheets coiled together in a little handmade book, and on each card he had written like all the characters of a Edward Gorey style family, um, but completely original, you know, bad example of one, but like, and poor Linda couldn't stand the sight of things, you know, because she's holding her, you know, eyeballs in her hands. And um, the artwork 
just in the 10 seconds I was able to look at as she turned two pages was fucking stunning. Um, and to this day, I, you know, I hope Lauren has this thing in a safe deposit box. Um, cause it was really, really cool. And, and the, like, you could immediately tell like, this took a lot of work. This took a lot of work and a lot of study and a lot of application and a lot of execution. Mm. I mean, I already knew this guy was, was talented and hilarious, but like, that's like a, another wing of the Smithsonian in a, in a way of mm-hmm. the inside of him, you know, like where, where else does this thing go? What else is, is being stored here? inside this man that's the thing too it's like he's as good at you know it's like how he's as good at horror as he was at being a funny guy he's also at that good at illustration he's also that good at designing a puppet he's also that good at drawing a fairy tale map for you know a fantasy saga that we may or may not ever see his skill in all corners of of nerdiness are are pretty matched and and for some of those things like oh i'm just doodling and it's like what um so you know he was always dealing with an an embarrassment of riches as far as talent goes and i think for him it'll always be like a what's the next way for it to come out you know yeah and you know we 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 can't believe he's dead it's so great of you (laughs) to do this remembrance of him you know i think this is exactly appropriate and what he would have wanted yeah so, i don't know who so he crossed because he's a kind of a pretty chill dude <laughs> you always something else coming up jordan peele not dead gets into the movie business Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Jordan Peele was at the height of television comedy. He had his own critically acclaimed show with his name on it. Here he is on Fresh Air. We felt like we had made some sketches that were really saying some things and really funny, and we had really contributed to the, you know, the, the pantheon of sketch. But after five seasons, Key and Peel decided to end Key and Peel. I don't think we knew for a fact that the the season after season number five would be a step up, and I think we kind of feared like, even if it's a plateau, that's that's as good as a step down. Plus, Jordan had other projects on his mind. It was Keegan Michael Key who connected Jordan with film producer Sean McKittrick. Well, he came to me with uh, the idea. Okay. He actually pitched the idea over coffee, um, and it was my first reaction was, "We have to make this movie because I've never seen it before." That movie, Get Out, Yo, the horror film Get Out, which Jordan has called a social thriller. It follows a black man who takes a trip to meet the family of his white girlfriend. There, he discovers the terrifying truth about the family's real intentions. You know I can't give you the keys, right, babe? 
After McKittrick bought the pitch, Jordan wrote the script in two months. It was filmed over 23 days. The budget was $4.5 million. Get Out became the first debut from a black writer-director to earn more than $100 million at the box office. And it won Jordan an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. I thought no one would ever make this movie, but I kept coming back to it because I knew if someone let me make this movie, that people would hear it and people would see it. Since then, Jordan has been busy working on hit after horror hit. The film's called Us. and it The remake of the classic Candyman movie from the 90s was Justin Peele's latest movie. It's called Nope, and you got to say it just like that. Nope. But he says he's not quite done being funny. Here's Jordan on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. I think the comedy part of my career is still going. I think it's still active. Wow. And part of that, you know, part, I, I, I talk about it as sort of like the difference between comedy and horror is the music. I'm oh, sorry, I'm sorry. Now, what, I'm picturing, what you... now I'm picturing the scene in Get Out where, where the guy's running, like, you know, he's running at the camera yeah. and he's like head on, but now I'm picturing like... I mean, Just like Benny Hill. So I want to bring in another voice to uh, talk about this. She's a critic and co-host of the NPR podcast, Pop Culture Happy Hour. Aisha Harris, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So Aisha, I'm really excited to talk about uh, Jordan's transition here uh, to the horror genre. But let's start before Get Out was released. What was your reaction when you first heard that Jordan Peele was coming out with a horror movie? <laughs> um. A little bit of skepticism, I think. Uh, I think that was actually quite common for a lot of us who had been following his career. But in hindsight, it really doesn't seem like that was warranted at all. I mean, there was no way for us to know exactly how great Get Out would be. But I do think the transition from comedy to horror is not that big of a jump. And also the fact that if you binge Key and Peele, uh, the series, which I have done many times, you realize that so much of that show was about the very fine line between horror and comedy, um, where sketches could start off very funny, but then turn very scary or vice versa. You know, I, I think of especially a sketch like Negro Town from uh, one of the later seasons of that series, yeah. which is a very funny sketch, but also has this very uh, this underlying dread and just like anxiety about what it means to be a black person in America uh, as a, like a quick setup. Basically, uh, Keegan-Michael Key's character is arrested just for merely walking around at night and in the middle of an arrest by this white police officer. Uh, he's taken away suddenly to this magical place called Negro Town. And Negro Town is a place where Everything is perfect for black people. You can get a loan. Um, you can talk and no one's going to call what you're saying slang. Like all of these different things are happening. Um, and it's presented as this beautiful like 1940s style musical. Uh, and, and it's just very, very fun. Negro town, you can walk the street without getting stopped, harassed or beat. And there's always a cab when you need to get around. And they always stop in Negro town. And then, of course, at the end, the twist is that Negro Town is not a real place and he's arrested. And the, it's just that kind of horror and that kind of um, comedy, the way that that was uh, really manifested throughout all of Key and Peele really shows up in all of the movies that Jordan Peele has done since then. 
I love the way you broke that down. Yeah, that Negro Town sketch was uh... <laughs> <laughs> It's dark. It's dark. <laughs> but it's it's great. But you're right. Like even when like when I was pre- prepping for for this uh this episode we're doing, there's tons of like horror things. There's spoofs on The Shining. There's all kinds of stuff. So I guess you always kind of saw that, you know, Jordan Peele was at least a horror fan, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It, th- that was very, very clear. Um, but again, the the ability to jump from short sketches into a very full like movie with a beginning, middle end, that is a trajectory that is can be difficult to make even when you are able to create these like sort of mini movies and sketches. And so um, it really is uh, a testament to his craft and his storytelling that we got Get Out and it became such a juggernaut culturally and um, artistically as well. The thing I like about Jordan Peele is like they're all different. So we get to Nope, you know, this homage to to classic films like Jaws and stuff like that. Did you see any themes there that carried over from his comedy work? When I when I thought of that movie, I also think of another sketch from Key and Peele, which was the Family Matters sketch. So you have um, Jordan Peele playing Carl Winslow and then Tyler James Williams, who we know, of course, from Abbott Elementary and also Everybody Hates Chris, playing the Jaleel White character, Steve Urkel. And that that is sort of playing with the sitcom aspect of the 90s and how, yeah, these were really cheesy, like corny shows back in the 90s with laugh tracks, but also it turns it into this very um, absurdist and creepy version of Urkel that is just terrifying and can like move things with his mind. Jaleel. Jaleel. There is no Jaleel. Only Steve. It's always been Steve. And I see a little bit of similarity to what he's doing in Nope with that, where the concept is in part that um, the Stephen Young character was a child star um, and there is a terrible thing that happened on this sitcom from the 90s uh, involving a, a, a chimpanzee. And just that, like, he's playing with this idea of sitcoms, especially of that era, being very, very saccharine and in many ways um, artificial, um, and then turning it on its head and turning it into this very dangerous and scary thing that in many ways reflects anxieties and things that are not necessarily coming through within the framework of what a sitcom of that era usually looked like. Um, I definitely see some similarities and, and, it's like a loose connection. I doubt that Jordan Beale was necessarily thinking about the, the Family Matters sketch, but I do think there's that same theme of taking something that we are so familiar with as a genre and really flipping it on its head and making it um, very scary and very unnerving to to really think about. So now that Jordan, you know, he's come out with several major horror movies, how would you describe his impact on the horror genre so far? Um, I think it's twofold. I think the one problem with anything that is remotely popular is that then Hollywood decides, oh, let's do more of that, but not necessarily do more of that in a unique or different way or in a better way or a more interesting way. So we get a bunch of uh, copycats or similar things that are being told. And Jordan Peele is not the first black director to do horror and 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 black horror this is this is not a new thing but he did 
very clearly kick it off for this new wave of black horror and psychological thrillers that we're seeing. And for every movie that comes close to Jordan Peele, uh, get out um, and, and that sort of thing. I think of a movie like uh, um, Nanny, which came out last year, directed by Nikiatu Jusu. Um, I love that we were able to get that movie made and that that movie exists. And then there are other movies that I like. I won't name, but they are <laughs> clearly trying to be more like Jordan Peele in terms of trying to balance the horror and the comedy. And I don't think they 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 work because they 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 miss they're missing that like essential element of of nuance that even in the broadest moments of Jordan Peele's movies, like they still have nuance. There are still layers to unpack, and there's still character development. We know who these characters are, and it's not just a bunch of avatars for various social justice or progressive ideas. Um, and so I think that you know the 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 blessing is that Jordan Peele's um, innovativeness and his success have led to lots of Black filmmakers being able to create similar ideas and and be more creative across the board. Um, but then we also get a, some Black filmmakers who are making things that are, um, ugh, they just kind of boil, mm-hmm. like they make my soul <laughs> hurt a little because I'm just like, mm, I know what you're doing, trying to do here. And it's just not... It's not working. It's it's leaning too heavy into the trauma of what it means to be black or it's like it's not funny <laughs> or it's like these are the same jokes we've been making for a while now. Like, let's let's move the joke. Let's push the ball a little bit further. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that that's the that's the blessing. And that's also the curse. But you could say that about literally any any successful thing because we live in the age of franchises and, and sequels and knockoffs. So it's not this is not unique to Jordan Peele's success, but it is one that I've been very, very attuned to over the last seven or eight years. Um, what do you think makes Jordan's work popular with audiences? What I think makes him resonate so much is that in part we we are kind of in this era now, especially when it when it comes to not just movies but TV and prestige TV, where viewers are always looking for the twists and they're always looking for the sort of labyrinth storytelling that includes lots of Easter eggs and like things that you need to pick up on and Reddit threads where people are trying to break down conspiracies and what does this mean and what does that mean? And I think Get Out and Us and Nope all kind of land in this period where this is what viewers really, really want. They want to be kind of talking about these movies afterwards and then trying to figure out, okay, what does this mean? What does this mean? Symbolism. Uh, his movies absolutely warrant that uh, interpretation. Um, and I think that is a huge part of why he's been so popular. But the other is just, he's really good at making the viewer feel engaged and and involved in the storytelling. He's so good at playing with genre and so good with like, playing with genre in a way that feels fresh and new and exciting. What's next for Jordan Peele? Well, his next film is scheduled for release on Christmas Day 2024. Like always, he's released no information on the title, the genre, or who might be in it. I think we'd almost be foolish to try to predict it because... He's only going to keep looking at things differently than the rest of us do and then reflecting it back to us in ways that we are surprised by. So 
I'll just be there buying my ticket. I mean, the guarantee is he's not going to do something he's already done. Whatever he does next, it's sure to get people talking. Puppets, maybe? This episode of Making was produced by Lauren Frost. Production assistance from Hina Srivastava. Edited by Justin Boole. Our executive producer is Brendan Benizak. I'm your host, Brandon Pope. Special thanks to Boom Chicago for sharing their archives with us. More episodes are on the way. Be sure to press the subscribe button and we'll see you next time.